If you go out there to serve and your goal is to put it all over social media, that is your reward. But we're to serve quietly. We learn from each other. And I love taking my Muslim friends out to eat because I see how they're looked at differently. I see that people look at me differently when I'm with them, almost like questioning me. Why would you do this? The world would be such a better place if we could all just put our guard down and love each other. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking In Good Faith today with Kim Swain, the manager of the Serve Refugees Share House in Salt Lake City, a joint effort between the Granite School District and Utah Refugee Connection, which is a nonprofit. I know you're going to love what we talk about today. It just really touches my heart when I hear what you do, Kim. Kim, thank you for coming thank on the you. show. Thank you so much for having me. So I do want to talk about refugees and the way that you welcome them when they are from other faiths than your own, okay. because I think that's, that's a skill that people learn. But first, just a little bit of background, if that's okay. Just mention where you're from, if you would. Sure. And I'd love to hear, what are your earliest recollections about God? Okay. I was born and raised in Salt Lake City. I was not raised um, in an active member family of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but my grandparents and my aunt and uncle were. They were faithful members. And they loved having me come over to their home. They are the ones that taught me about God. They taught me to kneel in prayer. They taught me about my Father in Heaven, about my Mother in Heaven, about my Savior, and about the Holy Ghost. And as I grew older, I just noticed a feel in their house that I loved and that I longed for. Hmm. And I spent much time in their homes. As I got a little bit older, my aunt would teach a Sunday school class and say, Kimmy, I really need help today. Well, I found out later in life that that was definitely for me. It wasn't that she needed the help, but that she wanted to introduce me more to the gospel. And then as I got even older, my grandparents provided me with my own scriptures, and we would read scriptures together. That's truly where my, where my testimony, the earliest recollections of my testimony started. I remember leaving school one day and walking home. I just was really contemplating what my grandparents and my aunt and uncle had taught me. And I remember just sitting at the side of the road and saying a prayer, an earnest prayer. And I said, Heavenly Father, are you there? Are you hearing me? And I just remember so vividly saying, don't ever leave. And I made a, I made a promise to myself at that point that I would not leave the gospel, that it would lead and guide and direct my life if I were to stay faithful and do what I was asked to do. How old were you then? You know, I'm going to say it was probably junior high age, perhaps seventh or eighth grade, where I just, my mind just really started to have a lot of questions. Yeah. Because again, at my home, we weren't taught the gospel there. So it was in my grandparents' and, and aunt and uncle's home where I, where I was taught. Before you began working with refugees, you had a whole other career. Mm -hmm. Do you want to just briefly mention that, mm -hmm. and then we'll head into the main subject? Sure. So before working with refugees, I had a career with a sports team in Utah that I loved. It was a fun, a very fun career or job. It was offered to me. I didn't go seeking it. Someone just said, I think you have the personality that would fit quite well with this job. I made very good money. I made very good tips at what I did, and I enjoyed it. It truly was fun. But it didn't feel fulfilling. I just felt like there was something in my soul that was missing. 
And did you go searching for that something else, or did it tap you on the shoulder? <laughs> it tapped me on the shoulder. At that point, my husband and I moved. We downsized and moved into a small cottage home, and I was immediately put into the Young Women's Presidency, stake presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we were, in two weeks after we moved, taking 125 girls to girls' camp, and they put <laughs> me in charge of a service project. In the back of my mind— when I was contemplating what to do for that service project, I remembered a talk by President Uchtdorf that was given at an LDS general conference, and he mentioned that he and his family were refugees that fled from war-torn Germany, and it stuck with me, and it just would not leave. I would get in bed at night, and that the word refugee just kept coming over and over and over. And since there were 125 or so girls that we needed a project for, I thought, I'm going to search out refugees in Salt Lake. I truly didn't know how many we had. I didn't even know if we had them. But I thought, something is nudging me in this direction. And so after making several phone calls and driving several places to find where I might be able to help, I ended up at Granite School District offices and met with a young lady there that I loved. I walked into her office and I said, I want to do something to help refugees. Can you help me? And she said, you know, we're trying to put a sewing program together right now with women refugees. And my heart really, I love all refugees, men, women, and children, but I really, my heart really pulls at helping mothers and helping the women. And so I thought, well, if these women want to start a sewing program, we could put together sewing kits. And if that would be beneficial at all, and that would make a difference, I would love to be involved in that. Again, not knowing how many refugees there were, how many kits, if we should do five or 155. But we went ahead with that. She said, that would be great. Go ahead and put that together as your service project. So we did that at girls camp. The girls loved it. When we got finished and went to deliver the sewing kits, Madeline, who was the girl that I had spoken with earlier, said, they're going to be able to start a sewing program now. This made a difference. Well, I went home that night, and my heart was so full. I really felt that my Father in Heaven had guided me to do that project to start a program for refugee women that are going to make a difference in their lives if they could pick up a skill that they didn't know before or if they could continue a skill that they once had. It's going to better their lives. And once a woman is empowered, I just feel like she's better for it, her family's better for it, and the whole community is better for it. So I was still working at the other place that I really loved, but my heart just kept saying, you need to do more. You need to do more for the refugees. So I walked back into Madeline's office a couple of weeks later and said, can I volunteer? And she said, would you come work for us? We're needing some organizational skills right now, which I really love mm -hmm. organizing. She said, could you give us five years? And I said, well, I'm in a position right now at my other job that I'm really enjoying. Let me see what happens there. And she needed someone to go over to the warehouse that used to be in, a, in Granite High School gymnasium, which was really large. So we had all the space we needed in the world and would take all kinds of donations. When I went home that night, I knew what I had to do. I left the job that I was enjoying that was fun and went to work for refugees. And I've loved, loved it ever since. It, it kind of fell into my lap, and I have been so richly blessed. You said, I knew that something had nudged me. Mm -hmm. You must have known that feeling mm -hmm. earlier in your life. Yes. 
you had felt that enough that you could trust that. Yes, yes. I felt that many, many times in my life, just in fervent prayers or just honestly where I feel the love of my Savior the most and know that I'm being guided, led and guided, is when I'm helping other people and the joy that I get through them. Mm. That builds my testimony to a point, and I know what that feels like. It's hard to explain because it is a feeling and it's sacred to me. But when you know that you're doing what you are supposed to be doing, I truly believe that this is part of what I was put on this earth to do. And things I just don't believe happen by coincidence. And it was just such a good marriage between uh, my skill set and what I truly enjoy doing and didn't think it was really anything special, but knew that it was what I was supposed to be doing and found out I've been there almost four years now that it is something pretty special. Let's just set the stage just a little bit with a few brief questions. Refugees arrive from mm-hmm. all different countries. They're mm-hmm. often put cities all over the U.S. Right. But they do try and create a community. Don't they try and keep people from, say, a particular country Yes. So they can have a cohesive yes. cultural unit. Mm-hmm. They absolutely do. So the, the, the ones that you work with, mm-hmm. what countries? So I'll start by saying this. There's approximately 65,000 refugees in Utah. That blew me away the first time I heard that. I had no idea. And I thought, I don't know that I've ever even seen a refugee. How can there possibly be 65,000 refugees in Utah? I've learned a lot over the years, and they're representing 40-plus countries and 20-plus languages. The um, largest groups, I would say, come from Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, Kenya, Sudan, and Bosnia. And I have dear, dear friends that I consider family from each one of those groups. Now, Islam is very strong Mm -hmm. in each of those countries. Mm -hmm. It is. Did you have any experience with that? Absolutely none. (laughs) I have had quite a bit of experience since. In fact, one of my greatest blessings that has come from this is one of my dear, dear friends gave my husband and I the honor of being the godparents to her son, and I was able to cut this little boy's cord as he was delivered in the delivery room as his godmother. And he was, his biological parents were born in Somalia and raised most of their lives in Kenya and are of the Muslim faith. I have just found over the years, we don't judge. I've, I've never been a person that likes to judge people. From a very young age, I was always the one that wanted to sit with the person that looked like they didn't have a friend or someone that they needed to talk to. Or if I saw someone crying in the hall, I would always try to go over there and put my arm around them and say, is there anything I can do to help? So I just, I love people. I love cultures. I love other religions. I love learning about them. They have taught me so much about Islam, and I have taught them so much about our church. And, you know, I think we're really afraid of things that we don't understand. It's, it's the unknown. It's the unknown. And I think the unknown is scary. It's It can be very, very scary. But once you get to know a person for who they are and for their heart, I tell you, I've learned to be more faithful because of their faith. They pray five times a day. During the holy month of Ramadan, they fast for 30 days from sunup to sundown every day. They're incredible. I have a dear friend from uh, Sudan. Her name is Zainab, and she volunteers with me just about every day at the share house. She's only missed a very few days in four years, and we have become 
I adore her, but she will tell me about her religion or we will be in the middle of something and she will motion, I need to go pray. And she is so faithful to take her rug, to go lay it out, to face Mecca and to pray. And it's taught me that I needed to step up my faith. Um, I try to keep a prayer in the back of my mind all the time, but they physically kneel down and do this so many times a day. It's taught me to be more faithful. I talked to someone who knows you, and one thing they admired was that you have, for instance, learned what the Muslim holidays are mm-hmm. and learned the appropriate thing, that you, like you might say, Happy New Year mm-hmm. or, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Are they surprised when they walk in and you say the thing? You know, they were in the beginning. Um, I've got so many friends now that I know by name. In fact, my husband looks through my phone directory and he laughs and he'll say, Kim, pronounce this name. And I'll say, I'll say, Abdirzak Ibrahim, and he'll say, what? But my phone directory looks like mostly those names now, and and I do. I love learning about their culture. I've tried really hard, and not just myself, but we've tried really hard to at the share house to create a very loving environment, not only for the donors that are coming, because we could not do this without donors. Salt Lake is a very loving, very giving place that want to help. They simply need to find a place to help, and I believe that we're creating this for them. We created the share house, and it's just been remarkable to see people that come in and simply will say, and it, it's taken some time, but they'll come in and they'll see a familiar face. My favorite day of the week is when refugees get to come in and get their items. And the items are not just handed out, they are earned as an incentive. Because again, if we can get a member of the family, a parent in the family to um, become educated and learn, they're going to better their life, they're going to better their family's life, and they're going to definitely better their community's life. Mm-hmm. And so if it's their holiday, I will call their holiday by name, and they will come up and give me a hug or... And I have to tell you, at Christmas time, I truly have, and they don't celebrate Christmas, of course, but I have more of my Muslim friends come in and wish me Merry Christmas and give me a plate of goodies from their country or something that they've made that means a lot to them. So you've reached out, and then there they are doing the same thing Absolutely. with your holiday. Absolutely. Would that one thing change the whole world if we all greeted all of our our acquaintances of other faiths in such a way? You know, it's incredible. And I think it goes back again to not being afraid and to getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. I remember having... Some family members actually asked me, have you, have you actually seen a refugee? Like, what do they look like? And I said, they look like you and I. <laughs> they look like you and I. Um, the women are lovely. Most wear hijabs that I know that are beautiful. And I'll take my granddaughter to their home, or we've been invited to their home on so many occasions, my husband and I. And I love to take my grandchildren as well. And we eat on the floor with them. And then we'll invite them to my home for our holidays or for a birthday celebration. And um, we just learn from each other. And we love each other's differences. No one is trying to convert. Again, I'm not judging. No one is trying to convert anyone. I truly think once we come to love someone, we know that they are loved by our Father in Heaven as much as anyone else. And I think we have so many more similarities than we have differences. They will say, well, in the Quran, it tells me this about service, and the right hand is not to let the left hand know. And I say, we we do the same thing. If you go out there to serve and your goal is to put it all over social media, that is your reward. But we're to serve quietly. And there are hundreds of examples like that where I'll say, hey, that's what we believe too. We learn from each other. And I love taking 
some of my friends, um, my Muslim friends out to eat because I see how they're looked at differently. I see that people look at me differently when I'm with them, almost like questioning me. Why would you, why would you do this? The world would be such a better place if we could all just put our guard down and love each other. Mm. Now, when people arrive, they don't always speak English. No. Will you tell me about that experience of working with people? And some sure. of them may be very, I'm guessing, because of the conditions they've come from. Right. And maybe you want to even mention some of those reasons why they are. If you're a refugee, you're a refugee from something. There's a reason. There's a reason. Refugees and immigrants are very, very different. Zaina began that volunteers with me, shared with me one day, she said, Kim, none of us want to be refugees. We are so grateful we are in a safe place, but none of us want to be refugees. She will have something happen back in Sudan, and she will get a phone call, and a very dear family member has passed that was not able to leave the country due to war or famine or whatever it might be, and she will just say, I would give any to be with my family today, and I will bring her food, I will bring her flowers, I will bring her, I will do whatever I can to ease that burden for her. But she does the same for me. My son was recently in an accident, and she heard about it, and she said, can you come by my house? I have something for you. And she had prepared a beautiful meal for me to take home. And oh. so... The language barrier is really interesting. We'll have a lot of people come in the share house that do not speak English, but you can communicate through love. You truly, truly can. We have three ways that the refugees can earn their incentives. One is through attending eight classes, and Granite School District is wonderful. They offer many, many family centers where they have free classes, whether it be ESL, whether it be parenting. There's free daycare in most of them so they can bring their children and they're just they're learning and after eight classes they will come to the share house with a paper that the teacher has filled out and they are so proud that they have put in eight classes and they are going to get something of value. Um, what we offer them, because they have large families, are either diapers with wipes, or we'll offer them what's called an essentials kit, which is personal hygiene items. And the third kit that we offer them is um, a cleaning kit, which is probably the most necessary because it's the most expensive items. It's laundry soap, dish soap, sponges. And we're very specific as to what we ask to go in these kits. Pre-COVID, when things were running smoothly and running really well, we would give out between 150 and 400 of these kits a week. And for the community to supply that every week tells me truly God is aware of all of his children. But these women will come in that are, they're learning English for the first time in their life, and they'll hand me that paper with tears in their eyes, and I will hug them and say, you did it again. You put in another eight classes. Mm. You just see the pride. You have to do things to better yourself and your family, or you lose pride in yourself. And we want to see them become self-sufficient. We don't want them to be dependent on us. We want to see them grow. We want to to see them become educated. And um, these classes, is it English or business it or be, skills? It can be absolutely. There are so many classes that are offered. It depends. There are a lot of ESL classes because a lot come that do not know English. There's a lot of family classes. How do I help my child through school? There's and computer classes. These? Are these volunteers? They're volunteers. It's absolutely the most incredible program. They're volunteers through the Granite School District. And the women just love the classes and they can tell they're, they're learning and they're growing. I, I've oftentimes thought, what if I were just dropped off 
of an airplane in a country where I don't understand the language, I don't know anything that I'm seeing. Sudan. Yeah, Sudan, for example. <laughs> how would I feel? How would how would I even function? And so I believe one-on-one, we are truly helping people gain self-respect. We're helping them with, with much-needed items. We're helping them learn to adapt to the culture here. And I love teaching them about the holidays. We will have six or eight special drives, if you will, throughout the school year. We just finished with our backpack drive, and our goal was 2,500 backpacks. And with COVID, we thought, "Mm, I wonder how it's going to go this year. We collected over 5,000 backpacks this year, and we had to distribute them differently. We normally have a big carnival, and the kids come, and they choose their backpack, and they give you a hug, and they're so happy. But we want them to feel, the students, the children, to feel included and to go to school with a new backpack, just just like an American childhood. We want them to feel like they fit in. The other two ways that they can earn an item is if a social worker deems a family necessary, and it doesn't matter if they've been here a month or if they've been here 20 years, if they need help, they need help. So a social worker will fill out a form, and then on the day that the refugees pick up, they'll bring that form in, and they'll hand it to me, and we'll fill the order with everything that we have on hand. And 99% of the time, we have exactly what they need. So that's another way that we distribute them. Most of the kits are distributed. Uh, If there's a leader in one of the cultures that is teaching, it has to be a teaching moment. But say, like, they'll they'll teach a skill or they'll, they'll teach something and say, we're expecting 60 students. Can we get 60 cleaning kits for Saturday at 3? Then we'll deliver those kits to them. So that's how we end up distributing so many of these. And... I failed to mention, we used to be in the Granite School District um, gymnasium, which was huge. They tore that school down, and Granite School District had a relocatable available. So we went from a massive gym to a very, very small relocatable out behind Lincoln Elementary. But we have done more good out of it. I almost think it was a blessing in disguise because we had to get down to basics. We had to get down to what truly was necessary, what was needed. But it's just created an environment I feel where, again, both the donors, I've had so many donors that come in and they said, I can feel love in here. I just can feel love. And then we have people that will come in. um, We keep the days separate, the days that the donations come in and that the donations go out so that there's not a lot of overlap. But we will have refugee women come in and they'll say, I don't need anything today. I just need a hug. And they know it's a safe place. Hmm. I had a mom about two months ago. A beautiful refugee woman that I had not met, and she had a darling little girl in a stroller, and she came in the share house. And I remember I was late, running late for an appointment, and it was time for me to close. But I just felt she needed something, and she spoke English fairly well. So we, I sat down by her, and I said, what's happening? And she said, I don't know why I'm here, but I was just walking my daughter. I'm sorry. I get emotional. Um, she said, I was walking my daughter in the stroller on the sidewalk. And refugees are very fearful of dogs because they're not pets in their countries. And she said, a lady, um, an American came past me and she had a dog and I kindly asked her if she would cross the road and take the dog away from my child because she was terrified. And the lady said some very unkind things to her and said, go back from where you came from. And at that point we were both in tears. And I said um, to her, 
I just want you to know that you are my sister, and I will apologize for her, and we are not all like that. And she just laid on my shoulder and cried and cried. And she, I said, again, how did you know I was here? Because I'd taken our sign down because it was time for me to leave. And she said, I don't know. I simply found you. And to me, that is not a coincidence. That is my Heavenly Father directing one of his beloved children to find safety. I think every faith tradition includes the care of the poor and the needy. I agree. Um, because you're in the Christian tradition, the quote of Jesus saying, what you've done unto the least mm-hmm. of these, my brethren, you've done, d- done, done to, to me. me. It sounds like you feel that. I do. I feel that. I feel that deeply. I, I didn't recognize that as a gift early on, but I do now. I truly do. I have had so many people, because they know I will keep a confidence And so many people will just come and need to talk. Another refugee, dear friend of mine, came the other day and said, my son was just diagnosed with cancer. It's a young man that I love. I've been to their home to dinner several times, and he's an incredible artist. She said he was just diagnosed with cancer. I just need to tell you. And we just sat and hugged, and I said, I've battled cancer twice. I'm a survivor twice. Your son is going to be okay. And then people will confide very personal things in me, things that happened to them in their country that they've told no one else, and it will not go past me because they confided that in me. And it's healing, isn't it, that they can share it with someone? When they leave, we're both in tears, and I carry that burden, but I lay that burden at my Savior's feet at the end of the day and say this was very challenging to hear, but I'm so grateful that they were led and guided here. And I do recognize that as a gift now. And I'm just so grateful to my Father in Heaven again and my Savior for that. I just, I really didn't recognize that as a gift when I was growing up. But now I'm just so grateful for that. And that's not to say, look at what I'm doing. It's just very natural to me. It's just, I can pick a person out in a grocery store and say they're having a bad day, and I'll walk up and talk to them. I love one-on-one when I see someone improving their life. That brings me my greatest joy, and that also increases my testimony. That is truly where I feel my testimony the strongest. I had a beautiful young woman that was in her 20s come from Iraq, and Iraq, and she was one of the first refugees I met. And her English wasn't great, but through a translator, she told me that she and her father were a beekeeper in Iraq, and war broke out. They had something like 60,000 beehives, a huge amount of beehives, and had to leave. And so she said, can you help me with bees? And I thought, what do I know about bees? But we're going to find out. And so I promised her I would do what I could. And so on social media, I said, does anyone have experience with bees that could give me a quick lesson? And does anyone have any Anything that she could possibly use, I want to help a refugee friend of mine get in, even if it's just one beehive, get into it. I had two people reach out that said, hey, I've given this a shot and it's not for me. She can have everything I have. And so because of that, and then going through IRC for some help with some land where to put her bees. International International Rescue Committee, I'm sorry. Yeah, the International Rescue Committee. She was given a plot of land to use, and she has six beehives that are active today. And I learned so much about that. And she, at one point, she said to me when she learned a little bit of English, she said, thank you for not forgetting about the bees. And that just, it just warmed my heart because she was doing what 
she, we have very intelligent refugees here. Atem um, that I went to uh, South Sudan with, he was one of the lost boys of South Sudan. He has two majors. My godson's parents both have master degrees from the University of Utah. There's very educated people that come over as well and simply want to make a life better. We're so alike. They they want to be educated. They love their children like we love our children. They hurt. They they need help when they need help. Um, and when they first arrive, I mean, you could be a doctor someplace mm-hmm, else, but absolutely. you can't be a doctor when you come here. You can't practice. And so it changes your life, whatever your profession exactly, was. Exactly. So I have another friend that would love to nothing more than to open a bakery. And so there is a program, again, through International Rescue Committee called Spice Kitchen. And this friend has had me to her place for dinner so many times, and she makes the best baklava I've ever tasted. In fact, she came <laughs> and spoke at one of my sacrament meetings in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so they're willing to, to give and take. And I would love to see her someday open her own bakery, and we're working towards that. So they have a program called Spice Kitchen, and we put her through that program, and she graduated. I have another dear friend named Noor who is from Syria, and he he was a very famous chef in Syria. He and his wife have five children. Three are really high specialty, special need children. Mm. And so we help him with diapers and with things that we can help him. There are companies here that will supply diapers and that will help them. And he will call me at least once a week and say, um, because of what you and not, again, not me, I'd let everyone know this is not just me. I feel like I'm a very small fish in a very big pond. There's many, many people that make this this go round. But I am proud of the, um, of the share house. That's sort of, there are so many people that have their hands in so many other things. Amy Dotharmer, who is the executive director of Utah Refugee Connection that I work for, she is incredible. She has her hands in so many, so many things, and the share house being one of them, but so many things other than that, where the share house is simply what I do, but I feel like I'm making a difference, and that's enough for me. How do people connect if they live somewhere other than here? Is there a website? Oh, Yes. Under serverefugee.org, we've got a really good website, and Amy actually runs a lot of our social media feed, and she does an incredible job about it. So serverefugees.org. The Instagram account is serverefugees, one word, and I would love it if people would follow there because that has to do with the share house. If I'm running low on something, and with COVID, we've had to switch from our essentials kits and our cleaning kits to COVID kits. We've put together COVID kits that as families are diagnosed and a lot of refugee families have been hit hard with COVID because there's many people living in one area or one apartment yeah. complex Close and they can't, quarters. Right, they can't social distance. So we make sure they have masks and sanitizers and we've put many items in these kits that will be helpful as they're diagnosed. So what I've been doing since since COVID hit and we started having donors bring these kits in and they've been so generous and we've had hundreds of these kits come in, I fill my car and then I find out which families have been diagnosed. I take them after work, drop them off on their doorstep and call them and tell them I love you and there's something at the door for you. But again, I make sure that they know that it's from the Utah Refugee Connection Granite School District, from the share house, basically, not just for me, because I can't take personal credit for any of this. Hmm. I'm simply blessed enough to be the one that is kind of the go-between, and I just feel so blessed to be able to do this. Well, I love that it's it's an outgrowth of your faith, and like you said, being nudged that Mm -hmm. there's something I can do, and then you went back and said, I need to do more. 
Exactly. <laughs> you mentioned being a cancer survivor yes, twice. Twice. In fact, the second time quite recently. Right. End of last year. Right. What does that do when there is a time of uncertainty? Mm-hmm. Am I staying? Mm-hmm. Am I not? Mm-hmm. Or are you calm through that because of your faith? Um, I would have to say it was very, very different. Breast cancers hit me twice, but they were both very different cancers. So it was not cancer metastasized. It was a complete different cancer. The first time around, I think my faith definitely helped me through it. And never once did I say, why me? That's just not my personality. I'm a daughter of God, just like everyone else. So why not me? I chose to take that approach. The treatments for that was almost two and a half years. It was um, six months of chemotherapy, eight weeks of radiation every day except weekends. And I remember distinctly driving home after a day of chemo. And and I usually had a family member that could take me, but this day I had to go on my own. So I had had chemotherapy, which makes you very sick, and I had had radiation. And I remember getting on the freeway and just crying and saying, I can't do this anymore. I'd lost most of my hair. I'd lost weight. I just didn't look good. I didn't feel well. And I pulled over at the side of the road, and I said a, a prayer. And I said, Heavenly Father, I know you're aware of what I'm going through. I need help. I can't get home. And I turned on the radio, and the song Consider the Lilies was on. I'm sorry. Beautiful song. It's one of my favorites, but it was not on a station that it should have been playing on when I turned my radio on, the car. And just the words to that song... He knows the, the, the children that we, that we feed, the flocks of the field, the lilies of the field. It has so much meaning to me. And there's been a few general conferences where the uh, Tabernacle Choir on Temple Square has sang that song. And every time they have, I feel like it was for me personally <laughs> because it's when I needed a boost and it has brought back that memory. But at that time, after I pulled over and realized, you're going to be okay you've got this. You have got this. You are going to be okay. And I went home, and that was enough to get me through that battle. This battle was a little bit different. I lost my father unexpectedly in June of 2019, and I love my father. It was completely unexpected. I have a brother that was 10 months older than me that two months after my father's passing was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he was admitted at LDS Hospital for a period of six months because they were really going to bring out the big guns and the chemotherapy to get him well. I would leave work and go up there and help my brother. Well, you're doing your own treatment. At that point, I didn't know. (laughs) Then October 30th, my brother was still in the hospital, and October 30th, while I was at work, I got the call that I had breast cancer. And I drove up to the hospital, the LDS hospital, and said I didn't want him to know. I really didn't want him to know. But he found out through the grapevine, and he said, Sis, we're going to fight this together. We are going to fight this and make it together. He lived in one of my apartments and truly was one of my dearest friends. And unfortunately, he passed the week of Christmas. And that's when I was dealing with the heavy-duty breast cancer Mm. treatments. My last treatment was on December 31st, and I was looking so forward to not just turning the page on a new year, but a new decade, and I knew that this was going to be the one that we were just going to be loving and be healthy and have it all, and then COVID hit. So Welcome we to ne- 2020. Welcome to 2020, right. <laughs> and we just never know what we're going to be hit with, but I can tell you that it was my faith, 
that got me through this last, that was three big hits in a row. And it was a struggle. I was on my knees more times than I can, than I can even count. I was pleading, I was begging, but because of my faith, but also because of the love of my refugee friends that knew I was sick. And they would come into the share house and say, Kim, you've lost weight. And they would just hug me and they would bring me food. They food, more food, baklava. more food, more baklava, more baklava. <laughs> I felt so much love from them and got so much compassion. And here they have been through so much. And Some man, of them, many of them have lost their family oh, members. Oh my goodness! So many of them have lost so many family members. Some of them. Some of them are unaccompanied minors that have come here without even their parents. Both parents were killed. The stories I could tell you. They're very sacred to me of what they've been through, but what these people have been through, and yet they would come in and notice that I looked a little different, and they were truly concerned about me. If that doesn't increase your faith, I don't know. I don't know what would. What do you know now about God that you didn't when you were 20 years old? At 20 years old, I wish now that I could have told my 20-year-old self that God loves everyone We are not here to be judged. We are not here to be afraid of someone to be. And I'm not saying the world is perfect. It is far from perfect. But if we can simply know that God knows me individually, and I know he knows every one of these refugees individually. I didn't know that. I did not know that. And to me, that is such a testimony builder. I see miracle after miracle in the share house. We will run out of a supply. 48 hours later, I'll have a shelf full of what we needed. Someone will need a bicycle, and we also run an Amazon registry that's very successful. And if there's a special need, I have a friend that's going to college, and I'm so proud of him, but he says, I can't afford the books. I can't afford the manuals. So we'll put the manuals on our social media feed and on the Amazon registry, and someone will purchase those books, and they're delivered to our office, and we get to call that person and say, we have your books. That to me is just such a strong testimony that we are all loved. We truly are. And we're known not just not just as a community or as a group or as a family, but we are known by name. We are known individually by name. I'm sure people are listening and thinking, I wish I could do something like that, but I don't know how or where. But I think just hearing your experience will help people detect their own nudges in their own place where they live. And it might be helping one particular person, but I can see you nodding here. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that I feel very, very passionately about because I have a lot of people that say, okay, I see that you're so engulfed in the refugee community and in, and you love what you do here. But what about the homeless? What about the veterans? What about the American children that don't have school lunch? That doesn't mean that I don't also help out there. And it doesn't mean that we can't have more than one area that we are passionate about. But I would just encourage everyone to find that passion that is within. I promise if you look for it, you will find it. I was guided to this. And that's why this is my main focus, because I truly feel like It changed my life for the better. Um, It increased my testimony. I truly feel that we're helping people one-on-one and communities um, at the same time. But it doesn't have to be this cause. I've had several people really kind of get on me and say, 
but what about this? And what about this? And what about, and I say, please don't be angry about this. That doesn't mean that I didn't just donate to this cause and that I flew to this city to help with this cause. I would love to go help hurricane victims. I would love to go. There's so, but find what, find where your heart leads you. I think that's the final message I would like to leave you with. Because sometimes we get paralyzed that saying that if we can't do everything. Absolutely, we do nothing. We do nothing. Instead, yep. find find something. Pick that, something. Pick something. Pick something. Go with it. You will know very quickly if it's what you. I just believe that we're all given an opportunity in this life to do something to leave the world a better place when we leave, and this is this will be mine. But if you find yours, great. That will be yours. That's what I would just leave for everyone is it just feels so good to get out there and serve and step outside. Even if you think, well, I'd love to do this, but I'm afraid, please try it. Try it. Again, I didn't know what a refugee looked like. Now they're my family. If something frightens you, learn about it. Study about it. Find out about it. It won't scare you. Once we're educated, I believe that we're no longer fearful. That's our time for today. Thanks to Kim Swain, director of the Serve Refugees Share House in Salt Lake City, for generously sharing her stories and her faith. Go to serverefugees.org to learn more. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. And if you enjoy the show, Be sure and leave a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon, right here, In Good Faith.